I'm sure there are, and of course, obviously, you people who have lived in inferior places have experienced this regularly, but we don't expect it here. <laughs> Let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. This book of Colossians, just four little chapters, but some of the deepest and most profound teaching in the scriptures we've seen here in, in these chapters. Chapter 4 begins, verse 1 really belongs to chapter 3, and it just says, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The idea is, if you're the boss of someone, make sure that you remember that you have a boss. It doesn't, a, a, a good leader, a good boss is constantly cognizant of his own submission to someone greater than himself, um, the Lord. And if he, if he isn't, he doesn't have any business leading anyone or ordering anyone around. And so it's a good reminder, but it's really tied in with, with the instructions to wives and husbands and children, fathers and bondservants and so on. Verse 2, he begins the close of the book and just kind of wants to remind them of the last things that are really important. He has already developed the theme of, for two chapters of who Jesus is and what that means to us. And in the third chapter, he applies that for us in our lives, what that has to do with the way that we live, the decisions that we make, standards we have for ourselves, and so on. But now he is just kind of giving closing personal instruction. It's still on the basis of what he's been discussing, though. But these are words from Paul to a church in Colossae to which he had never been. And so it gives you an idea of these are things that he thinks apply to anyone, certainly. And then he goes into a lot of uh, more personal greetings. But he begins it with verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. That word, it's one word in the Greek, continue earnestly. It means to just battle toward it's it's really if you're into anything make sure that you're really passionately um into praying it's it contains the idea of an intensity it would also include that this is a priority in terms of your time uh, you it, it, prayer is not a a backseat kind of casual issue. He's saying, hey, prayer is something that you should be identified as a person of prayer. Remember, he's, he's described who Jesus is, the incredible power that he has, the fact that he is God. All God's fullness dwells in him. He's the end-all and be-all of all creation. And we have the opportunity to talk to him, to actually ask him for things, to have him influence how our lives go and how foolish it is when we choose not to pray or we just feel like we're not into it. Now, there are a lot of reasons why people don't get into prayer as much as they could. Sometimes it's because of a false idea of prayer and primarily it's the idea that prayer is something that is flowery sort of speech you have to speak in sort of a different language a real um, sophisticated kind of um, 16th century sort of language that that sounds like Shakespeare or the King James Bible or something like that and so people feel like, well, I don't really know how to pray, so I wouldn't know what to say, and not realizing that prayer is simply conversing with God, 
Jesus is interceding for us. The Holy Spirit's interceding for us. There's no reason for anyone to feel inadequate in terms of prayer. It's just talking to God and letting him know what's on your heart and what your needs are and letting him lead you in terms of praying for the needs of others. Basically, anything that you think about, anything that you're concerned about, anything that you're worried about, those are the kind of things that you're to pray about and take to the Lord. Now, I think sometimes we emphasize public praying, and that's one reason why we feel like, well, you know, I don't know if I'm that into it, because it's hard sometimes to get into public praying. Public praying is important. It's important to pray with others. There's it's a very special blessing with that. But biblically, by far, that is not what prayer is about. It's not about prayer meetings. By far, biblically, prayer is something that is when you go into your closet, when you get alone, and you personally converse with God. Jesus, in all the time that he was with his disciples, as far as we know, never called a prayer meeting. One time he took the disciples with him and told them, you guys stay here and stand guard, watch and pray. And they did what most people do in prayer meetings, they fell asleep <laughs> while he was wrestling with, with you know, everything that he had to face on the cross. Um, prayer is something that we need to discover its power on our own. Because then you're not worried about what somebody thinks about what you pray when you're praying with other people, sometimes it's easy to start thinking about them or playing to them. If several people are praying and one person prays and the people are all going, oh, yes, Lord, yes, and then you pray and nobody says, yes, Lord, and you're like, what am I, chopped liver? You know, was that a lousy prayer? Was there something wrong? And, and our attention gets focused on people instead of God. Prayer is something that focuses on God and so while I applaud people who get together with other people and pray, I just want to say your private prayer life is really where it's happening. Charles Spurgeon said, people who pray long in private will pray short in public. But people who pray long in public are demonstrating that they've prayed short in private. So that's something interesting. But... If prayer is the way that God chooses to get things done, if God really does answer prayer, I don't understand exactly how prayer changes things because I know God has a plan and he knows that people are going to pray, and yet scriptures tell us clearly you have not because you ask not, and so there's something to that. I just, I'm just crazy enough to believe everything the Bible says, even when it doesn't always make sense to me, and so I don't want to not have something because I don't ask. And so I make sure that I allow plenty of time to pray, to take my concerns to God. Um, and prayer is really good for me, but it's more than that. It's something that God answers. If, if we ask God in the name of Jesus, he hears us and he responds. The Bible's really clear on that. And so, um, and, I, and I've heard... Some people just feel like, I don't have the time to pray. And I forget who it was, one of the evangelists, probably D.L. Moody, who had said, if I have a real busy day planned, I need to spend extra time in prayer before, before I take off and attack my day. And if we would have that attitude more, um, and we would pray more on the basis of what we're juggling in our lives instead of less, I'm sure we would benefit hugely but he says, continue earnestly in prayer. Don't let up. Being vigilant in it. That word for vigilant there was a word that they would use for a soldier who would stand watch. It's, you know, there are a lot of people who are totally unaware of the dangers of life. And they just go through life carelessly and casually. But someone needs to watch out for the battle that's going on. Someone needs to stand guard. And Paul's suggesting here that those who pray 
earnestly and continuously, passionately, also have the opportunity to really watch out, not only for themselves, but for others. To just take the time to think about people in your life, people who you know, and to ask God to reveal to you what their needs are and how you can pray for them. You know, I, I, it's wonderful to me when people come to me and say, how can I pray for you? And I, I'm always thankful because I figure at least they must be praying for me. But what I would love and have experienced this many times more than that is when someone goes to the Lord and sees what, what he wants them to pray for me. And then sometimes they'll share, you know, the Lord was really laying you on my heart and I was praying this for you this scripture or this prayer or whatever, and you go, that's amazing because I didn't tell you and God revealed it to you because you were watching out for me. You were watching my back. You were being vigilant. And sometimes it takes a little time to hear from God, but don't give up too quickly because God wants to speak to us and alert us to situations that are on the horizon or difficulties that are going on in the lives of people we love. And so praying for each other is a way that we can have that vigilance, that we can stand guard for our loved ones, for those we care about, for our church, for various people. See, usually I don't even know what my greatest need is. So I can tell you what I think my greatest need is for prayer, but God sees beneath the surface and sees much more important prayers. One thing that you get impressed with when you read the prayers in the Bible is how deep they are and for what important issues they involve as opposed to some of our trivial little prayers. That And I'm not saying that you know, it's raining and you're in Walmart's parking lot and you pray for an up-close parking place and you get it and you thank God for it. Okay, you know, great. I don't doubt that God will sometimes come through for you like that. But if that's the most important thing you have going, if, that, if most of your conversations with God are about, God, will you bless this food? You know, there are, do we really get that we can change heaven and earth by prayer, that we can make a huge difference by doing that. And I think when we realize that, we begin to long to pray for things that are more important than the casual requests that are out there. Pray for things more important than even someone's health issues or the way someone feels or stuff they're going through. Or Those things are all fine. But there are eternal issues and eternal struggles. There are battles against principalities and powers that are going on. And God wants to teach us to be sensitive to those things and to have those be our priorities in our prayer life, certainly. And so he lets us know prayer is something that you need to really get into it, and it takes an investment of time and energy and heart, but it also involves being vigilant, watchful, standing guard, looking out, being sensitive to dangers, being sensitive to needs that people may not even be aware of. This is a, You get the idea that Paul took this very seriously. And he says, with thanksgiving... It's amazing how many times thanksgiving is thrown in there when the Scripture's talking about how we are to be, how we are to pray, how we are to live. Being thankful is life-changing. Being thankful is also so powerful. And the lack of thanksgiving causes us to lose all perspective about God. When we're thankful, we're noticing what God is doing and has done. And it changes our entire approach to life. 
as soon as we get a bad attitude, as soon as we begin to focus on what's wrong instead of what's right, and we no longer praise God, and we no longer thank Him, then we are operating from a, from a really warped perspective, from, a, from an unrealistic perspective, actually. And so um, that reminder seemed to be always on Paul's lips. And remember, he's writing from prison. And he's saying, be thankful. And in the context of prayer, I just have to believe that some of the most important things that we could include in our prayer are thanking God for what he's done. It not only prepares our hearts to know that God's been faithful before and therefore we can count on him to be faithful in answering the prayers that we take to him now, but it makes us feel blessed. And that's the way he wants us to feel. God wants you to feel like you're one of the luckiest people in the universe. You've been chosen by God. You're loved by God. You have an eternity to spend with God. And if you're not feeling blessed, if you're not feeling like you have a great life, then there's something really wrong with how you're looking at things. I had a, a really sad um, email that a, um, a, a gal sent me today, and she had been listening to me on the radio, and I had mentioned somehow in the message that ran on the radio the fact that, that um, you know, the, that I don't believe that if you commit suicide that you go to hell for that. And I had mentioned I have some friends that I know loved God, were really mixed up in their head, and they killed themselves, and I fully expect to see them in heaven. And she said, boy, that was so good for me to hear. I had a, a loved one who was so depressed with life that they threw themselves on a railroad tracks and, and, and killed themselves. And I've always been afraid that they couldn't go to heaven because of the way they ended their life. And then she went where I was afraid she would go. She said, the only reason I haven't killed myself is because I've been afraid that I'll go to hell for it. And so she said, please assure me that if I kill myself, I'll go to heaven because she said, life is just too painful for me. I can't take it anymore. I can't deal with it. And, you know, I, I wanted to be careful and what some guys do would go, well, I don't know, you probably would go to hell just to keep her alive. But I said, I'm not going to lie to you about what the scriptures say. And the Bible makes it clear that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. And so I don't believe that suicide is the unpardonable sin. I gave her an example of a little girl I knew who had just got married and her birth control pill clashed with some other medication she had and made her kind of wig out and she took her own life. And just a precious girl who's just messed up. And I said, I know she's in heaven. And I said, I've known other people who are struggling with things so much. And I said, I know God understands that and God understands what you're going through. But I said, let me, let me say this, my concern for you, first of all, is how do you know you're a Christian? How, do you, how can you be certain? Because I said, God says that he'll give us an abundant life. That's what he wants. That's his desire. If you're not experiencing that walk with God, if you can't see anything in your life that's a blessing, then your perspective is at least way off. And I said, boy, I'd be worried about you because and what if you, if I tell you, yeah, if you're a Christian, you'll go to heaven even if you kill yourself, and then you kill yourself and find out you weren't really a Christian? I said, a Christian life is, is demonstrated by the fruit of the Spirit. And a part of all that is that you see what God's doing in your life and you're grateful. And so I said, I would suggest that you spend some time making a list of the things for which you're thankful. Because if you can't come up with a list of things you're thankful for, then I, I have to wonder, 
about your relationship with the Lord. And then secondly, I said, committing suicide is one of the most cruel things that you can do. And she had said, I heard you say that on the radio, but she said, I'm an orphan. Um, There's no one in my life. I don't have any friends. There's no one who cares about me at all. It will not leave a dent. But I said, that still doesn't make it so that you're not going to hurt people by choosing to take your own life. I said, for one thing, there are probably people who love you more than you realize and who will perhaps blame themselves because of what you've done. But I said, on top of that, I said, what about all the people that you're supposed to be friends with? What about all the people that God wants to use you to reach someone for Jesus Christ? And you're living your life kind of in this hole, only seeing what you want to see and not recognizing that not seeing God's plan through for you and and realizing that there is a huge impact that God wants you to make on other people. And I said, even somebody who may be wrestling with these kinds of feelings and this kind of depression the way that you are, maybe what if God wants to use you to battle through this and then share with others how God gave you the victory and you'll save their lives? I go, how can you not want to, especially if you're telling me your life isn't worth anything, how can you not want to then try to invest your life and and do everything that God's telling you to do and really express your appreciation for him and then see what happens? And I said, by the way, if I ever get to the point where I really don't want to live any longer, I'm not going to take a coward's way out and take pills or shoot myself or hang myself. I said, today, if I really didn't care if I died or not, I'd go over to Haiti and start witnessing to the guys with machetes who are fighting for their lives in the streets of Port-au-Prince. I said, I might go down to south-central L.A. and start witnessing to gangbangers. I said, I can think of a million great ways to take your life doing something for the Lord instead of being so self-absorbed and taking, taking the coward's way out. And, I mean, what I was trying to say to her, and of course I told her that I loved her, and, and you know, I, I really wanted to see something change for her and that I understood, but what I was hoping to do is to cause her to see a bigger picture and to realize it's not that bad. I remember one time, before I had my neck surgery, I've had problems with the pinched nerve of my neck for years, and one of the fixes that, you know, when you're a pastor, everybody has their own home remedies and everything for everything, and so you don't want to offend people, so you go ahead and try whatever they tell you. Um, But one guy gave me this traction device, and it was a harness that went around my head and my neck And then it hung over a pulley, and there was a bag of water, and this thing would clamp on a door, and you'd sit there, and it would just kind of pull your... um, It was like a cheap version of the phony guys you hear on the radio who are telling you traction will fix everything for you. But I would try doing it at church, but every time I'd get strapped into this thing, somebody would open the door, which it was fastened to, and whack me and hurt my neck, so... I, I decided, you know, I'm gonna, I always stayed at church later than everyone else, so I thought, you know, late at night, uh, I'll just do it then. So it was 11, 11.30, and, and so I hooked it to the door and hung myself in this thing, and I just settled into a good stretch, and um, a guy named Big Randy, who's, the, uh, who's one of the security guys at Calvary Costa Mesa, came, was coming around checking doors. And you'd have to know Randy to appreciate. He's a massive guy, biker, just an interesting guy. But big Randy looks in the window, and he sees me hung in this thing. And he starts pounding on my door going, no, Dave, no, no. He goes, it ain't that bad. (laughs) And he thought I'd hung myself, so I had to take it off and show it to him, explain it to him. He didn't look completely convinced, but he let me continue with my traction. But 
when we are thankful and when we pray, we get a perspective that allows us to realize it ain't that bad. God's in control. God has been faithful to us in the past and will continue to be faithful to us now. And so Paul's giving these people this perspective of saying, get into prayer and be thankful. And he says, meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. It's kind of funny, sometimes the idea of preaching the word doesn't seem that important to people. In fact, there are some people who the whole emphasis of their ministry is to show how prayer is more important than preaching of the word. But when you read the scriptures, you read the New Testament, you discover that the most common thing that prayer is asked about is so that the word would be preached, so that the gospel would be presented. In Acts chapter 4, when the disciples got out of jail, they went to this prayer meeting and they go, pray that we will have boldness. You'll hear Paul say that all the time. It's not, you don't choose between the word of God and prayer. They go together. One leads into the other. They're both critically important. And that's why, I remember in Acts 6, when the things weren't being taken care of in terms of feeding the widows, um, they assigned those deacons, of whom guys like Stephen and Philip were some of the first ones, in order to take care of the affairs of the church, the business of, of the church, and taking care of the widows, so that the apostles would be freed up for the word of God and prayer. And that couplet, that's really what, that's what a pastor is supposed to do. And anyone who is involved in pastoral ministry of any kind ought to have prayer and the word as being what they major on. Everything else is details. But Paul, the apostle, God was doing mighty things in his life. At this point, he had written many books already that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And yet he's telling people who he doesn't even know, pray for us. Pray for us so that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. He said, this is why I'm in jail. This is what my life is all about. So if you really want to pray for me, pray for me in this area. He didn't say pray for me to be provided for. He didn't say pray for me to get out of jail free. Pray for me not to, not to be hurting so much. Pray for my vision to improve, for me to be healed of all the injuries and wounds that I suffered. He goes, no, pray this. Pray that I will be able to preach clearly the word of God and to pre prepare that to deliver to people so that um, that which is important happens. And he said, that's why I'm in chains. Everything else that's painful in my life is there so that I can do what really matters. And again, what a how different my prayer request would probably be if I was sitting in a dark, dank jail without much to eat, with, no, with a, an impending death sentence hanging over my head, feeling tired and sore and achy and almost blind and having been stoned and beaten so many times, scars all over my body. If I sent out a prayer request, I don't know how far down the list it would be. Pray that I'll, be, I'll preach well. Pray that I'll communicate the gospel well. But this lets us know, and by the way, anyone you know, any of you who are involved communicating the word of God, if you are Sunday school teachers, if you're just those who share with others and witness to them, if you lead a Bible study, if you are just someone who aspires to do that, um, you don't have anything more important to have prayed for you than what Paul asked for prayer for here. 
that the door would be open to speak the mystery of Christ. And if you want to pray for me, I appreciate when, you know, it sounds like I'm stopped up and so people pray for me to have my cold cleared up or looks like I'm kind of, you know, walking with a little bit of pain and so you pray that God will heal me and make me better or, you know, you pray for me to be a better husband and father, you pray for me to to have wisdom about the building and different, all that's great. But ultimately, if you really want to pray something that has eternal value, pray that God would give me the opportunity and the ability to communicate his word and his grace clearly. That is what matters the most. That's what it's all about. And when you know people, we have a group of people who are going to be heading over to Cambodia for a, a mission, short-term missions trip. And there are all kinds of needs for travel, mercies, safety, everybody to get on the plane and off, and you know, for them not to be you know, robbed and kidnapped. And there, there are all sorts of things you could pray about that trip, that they don't get sick from the food. Um, my first experience with Cambodian food was um, one of um, projectile significance in my own life. <laughs> But the bottom line of what that trip is, is people are going to have doors open to teach the Word of God. And that's what they're going for. And that's what the investment is about, the money to go there and everything else. That's what it's all about. And so if you pray for that trip, pray for that as being paramount. And God will do amazing things. He always does. So he says, that I may make it manifest, that's the word that means unveiled, revealed, as I ought to speak. Paul realized that the effectiveness of his message had something to do with his ability to communicate well. He didn't just have the attitude, I just throw it out there and I don't care if they accept it or not. He said, Pray for me that I am able to explain this, that I am able to make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. It doesn't just happen automatically. And it's one reason why, um, and, I, and I'm not knocking people who maybe do this, but I really try to make a point not to, not to preach somebody else's message not to just take an outline from a commentary and make it my message, or not just to, you know, it's been a busy week, so I remember Chuck preached a really good message on this passage. I'll just do Chuck's message. But the, the work of the Holy Spirit in taking someone's communication and personalizing it for someone is a very critical and, um, and mysterious, really, supernatural function of what God does. And it's true with each of you when you talk to people. What you say and how you say it, and he's going to go on and address that also. But it's like, it's not just saying it. It's why I'm not big on these methods of witnessing that just involves a formula. Coming up to everyone and just saying the same thing you said to the last person. Or, you know, having a survey, hey, we're taking a survey, and what do you, you know, and, and just taking someone through a mechanical presentation of the gospel, you don't see that in Scripture, because our ability to communicate comes from the Spirit knowing the hearts of the people that we're sharing with and giving us those insights and those ways of expressing it that although some people may not connect with it, not, and I know, I, I'm not claiming that, boy, every time I get up here and, and teach the Word that it just connects with everyone. Hey, obviously every week there are people who come and hear me preach and they'll never come again, and I, and I wouldn't blame them. But there are always certain people that God has designated that really need to hear something that was perfect for what they needed to hear. And... That's what the Holy Spirit does when you commit yourself to Him and say, God, in this situation, I want to communicate exactly, precisely 
the way that you want me to. I want to say what you want me to say in the way that you would have me to say it so that it sounds real and genuine and sincere, but that it also communicates clearly what your word says. I mean, that's what it's all about. And if, if that's not what you're hearing on a regular basis from anybody who's teaching you, me or anyone else, then maybe you're in the wrong place. I don't know. But this is what I pray that God does, and I hope it gets you once in a while where you hear a message and just go, boy, did I need that. That was just perfect. I hear people saying that every week when they come up afterwards to talk to me, and, and I, I'm sure some of them are just trying to make me feel good. But when I pray, it's God... Tonight, as I share your word, I pray that something in there will just really feel like you yourself are talking to someone specifically about something that no one else even knows about in their life, but that they really needed to hear. And so that's what Paul's asking for here. And, but then he turns it around on them and says it's not just about preaching. He said, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. He said the way that you treat people who are outside is something to take very seriously. And in the context, obviously, he's talking about talking to people who don't know the Lord. But it's not just about your talk, it's about your walk. It's about how you live toward them. And it's about God giving you the wisdom to walk in a, in a way with those who don't know Christ that they will sense something in you that draws them to not just you, but to Jesus. And he says that's redeeming the time. The time is limited. Peter says... God isn't slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but he's patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone to be saved. And the reason why we are still here is there are still people he wants to reach that we haven't contacted yet. But the time is limited. Scriptures make this very clear. This will not go on forever. God is extremely patient. But he has a time set aside when he's going to put an end to all this and, and no one will get saved after that door is closed. The idea of redeeming the time, to redeem means to buy something back. Um, it, 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 it's the idea of paying ransom to set someone free. And he's saying this concerning time. Realize that our time is limited. And so... We need to conduct ourselves with wisdom. Now, he doesn't say it's an emergency and you just have to get the message out as fast as you possibly can and just gush it out there to everyone, nail everyone you see with a track, plaster verses all over your car, scream it with a bullhorn at the beach. That's quite the contrary to what he's saying, frankly. And there are some people who just are so into their preaching and their you know, system, I just want to get it out there, that they don't communicate it with wisdom. That they're screaming at people about God loving them or about their own sin or whatever, and somehow they think, well, I'm out there preaching because the preaching's important. It's not just preaching that's important. It's communicating it the way that God would have you to communicate it so that the heart of the person you're ministering to has been prepared for what you are going to communicate. And so walking in wisdom toward those who are without means pick your spots. Pray, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Let Him open those doors. You don't have to start an argument every time you hear someone say something stupid. You know, it's okay. There's too many stupid people out there for you to fix them all. And the more you focus on trying to fix stupid people, the stupider you'll get. Because <laughs> you'll be listening to stupid people all the time and you won't be walking in wisdom. So the idea is, 
I want to make the most of the time that I have. And that means not hurrying or rushing, not slamming my message out there, but taking the time to develop relationships with people to where they care about what I have to say. And, and communicating with them with wisdom. Sometimes it means, a lot of times, there are times when I could get upset with someone, but I, but, and, I, and it, it really is kind of cheating with me because I'm a pastor, and people recognize my voice from the radio, or people have seen me at ch- here or some other church. So, like always, if I'm in a restaurant, if it's bad service, I'll never say anything about it, and I'll, I'll always tip. And I just, uh, my concern is partly, yeah, I don't want somebody in my church to go, man, I can't believe it. I mean, the food wasn't that good, but Dave Rolfe is such a cheapskate. And five years from now, still be telling people I wouldn't go to his church because he tipped me a dollar, you know. So that's a part of it, honestly, but an awful lot of it is what if. This person, if I am their first contact with a Christian or their last contact with a Christian, what if they overheard something in my conversation that let them know that I love Jesus? And then, okay, maybe they think they did the best they could with the service. Maybe I don't think so. But why do I want somebody to go to hell for giving me bad service or for giving me a bad product? Why do I want to raise my voice with people? Why do I want to stand in line at a customer service counter? Why do I want to push people around and and threaten them and hold things over them when the whole reason I am alive, the whole reason I am here, is to represent Jesus Christ well, to walk in wisdom toward those who are without. And that means I ought to treat non-Christians better then I treat Christians. If I'm rude to one of you, you know, you're going to get mad at me. You may leave the church, but you're not going to go to hell for it. You'll find some other place to go to church. But if I am rude to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, that could be the end for them. And I want to take that seriously. And so, as he says here, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. The idea is you have limited contact with people who come into your life. Are you making the best of that contact? And is the way that you communicated with them really wise if their eternity is hanging in the balance? And so he goes on and says, let your speech always be with grace. Not with law, not with pushing people around, not with holding people accountable, not with grabbing them and choking them and forcing them, not with chewing them out, making them feel bad because they failed. No, every word that you say with grace. Why? Because eternity is in the balance. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Sometimes food just needs a little salt. And boy, a little salt makes certain things. I mean, I don't know if anyone would ever really eat popcorn if it didn't have butter and salt on it. I, you don't need to tell me afterwards that you do. I, you know, I mean, every once in a while, a man bites a dog too. But, you know, <laughs> in general, I, most people like their popcorn with a little salt, a little butter, or a lot of butter if you're me. Um, Salt is that way, and there are some foods that just taste something missing. You put a little salt on it, and it's great. But if you ever eat in a restaurant, and you go to salt your food, and some kid has loosened the top of it, you know, and you push, and salt goes all over it, not good. And that's the idea. Salt, you need to salt your food carefully, because a little of it, if you're careful with salt, it can really um, enhance the flavor of most foods. But if you put too much salt on, then it's just gross, tastes terrible. And so he says, do that with your mouth when you talk to people. Full of grace, always gracious, always saying, hey, I just want you to know I really appreciate you. And even if you have to ask for someone to do something, to come across with them like, like it's totally okay 
I just want to point this out. Um, instead of just being the law and just telling people where they're wrong. So he says, with grace, your speech seasoned with salt. So the question is to take a look at what you say to people. And first of all, is it gracious? Was grace in what I was saying? Secondly, was it seasoned with salt? Was my grace sprinkled in with there so you can hardly tell, but it's really good? Was I, was I sensitive? Did I consider how I said what I said? And he says, um, in order that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Everyone who says anything to you, if you are going to answer, God give me grace, help me to be careful with how I say what I say, and I pray that what I say will cause this person to be blessed, to be impressed with God who you are, that they will say, wow, I've never met anyone who treated me so respectfully before. Why? For the same reason why he wanted them to pray for the way he ought to speak. Because it's all about people knowing the truth, meeting Jesus Christ, having a walk with him. And so that's the test of everything that we say and the way in which we respond to others. If someone says something rude to you, what's in line is a gracious, sensitive response as if someone's life depended on it, because it might. Now he begins to just greet people, and he says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. Tychicus and Onesimus were going to take this letter and deliver it to Colossae. And so not only did Paul trust Tychicus with delivering an important document like this, but he considered him a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. What better could be said about someone than that description? What... What a standard for us to aspire to, that people would see us as being those who are really loved. How do you become loved? By loving. By someone who's really faithful and dependable and who wants to be a servant. And by someone who's a fellow servant in the Lord. They're not doing their own thing. They're not a lone ranger. They're someone who loves partnering with others. They're patient enough that they can do it, and they realize who we're working for. Ultimately, it's the Lord. So he said, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's going to tell you what's going on with me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. He said, Tychicus is going to bring the letter to you. He's going to let you know what's going on with me so that you'll be blessed and he'll find out how you guys are doing so he can report back to me. This is why it's so important for, with the opportunities for communication that we have today. I mean, he had to send someone from Rome to Turkey to do this by boat and by foot. We have email and, and Skype and telephones and all that kind of stuff. And it's so important that we stay in contact with other ministries and know what they're doing. I, I sometimes, there are a lot of different ministries where I just check their websites just to see what God's doing so I can pray for some of these guys. I love getting the, the prayer lists of all the missionaries so that I can pray for them. And when I get something from one of our missionaries telling specifically what's going on, it's just great to hear it because we're in this together. We're involved in this together. And so if Paul went to the trouble of sending a guy all the way across Europe, to Asia, then we need to take advantage of the opportunities that we have to communicate how we're doing. And you know, our missionaries love to hear from you, even if you don't know them. And we, you get to know our missionaries, because whenever they're here, we try to 
introduce you to them and things like that. And so hopefully you'll get to know some of them. But some of them you've never met. And yet I hear from some of our missionaries how amazing some of our people are. And they go, who is this person? Because they're, they're so thoughtful and they're praying for me and they're writing me emails and, they're, and I've never even met them before. And, you know, they want that interaction. And also, they want to hear how they can pray for you. They want to hear what's going on in your life. You could ask Cal over here. Cal is one of our missionaries um, to Nicaragua. And he loves to stay in touch with you. Now, he's busy. He's pastoring a church. He has a school. He has a bakery. They have all these outreaches. Um, But every time he hears from you, he's blessed. And he will pray for you. And he will get you on his list, and he'll try to keep you posted on what's going on down there. And you'll have more to praise God about. You know, if you're looking at your life, and like earlier we were talking, and you like can't have anything to be thankful for, you haven't been reading letters from missionaries and seeing what God is doing and how thankful that we could be. We got notice concerning... Uh, in Haiti this week, some of the uh, Calvary Chapel in Old Bridge, New Jersey, had several people on the ground over there, actually in the Dominican Republic, which is across the border from Haiti. And those guys collected a ton of medical supplies and food and things like that. And they wanted to get on a boat and sail it over into Haiti to this one harbor where they have an orphanage. And they wanted to get those supplies into the people. But they got all tons of supplies, and then they were trying to negotiate with ship's captains to sail them over there. And there's such a demand for ships, it was ridiculous, and they were getting suspicious that these guys were going to steal the, the cargo and sell it, and, and they began to pray. And finally, they went to ask the military people there in, in Dominican Republic about, <laughs> what do you think is the best way for us to do it? And they said, we'll take your stuff in there for free. And so the Lord opened that door to get on a military cargo ship and take all tons of, of equipment, medical supplies, food, water, and all, and sail it right in. And they were able to get land it, store it at the military facility until they could get it up there to the orphanage where they're setting up a, looking for a place for Calvary to set up a base of operations. And it's like, I read that, and I got it from several different um, people in emails today. And I'm like, I'm going to complain about our mud puddle <laughs> when, I, when I get to hear what God's doing. And again, it's like, man, make connections with the bigger picture of what God is doing. And I guarantee every person who's out there serving the Lord on the mission field, for instance, will have things that they can praise God about. Because they're, they're out there doing it and, and living that life, and they're seeing God coming through for them. And they're a part of our family. And so, again, it's important to stay in contact because it gives us that perspective of all that God is doing. He says also with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things that are happening here. Onesimus was from Colossae, and um, Tychicus was just someone who was there with, with Paul in prison. And then he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Aristarchus traveled with Paul a lot and just served him and helped out. He was considered a traveling companion to Paul. And now he goes, I'm with you. I'm beside you here in jail. And he said to say Hi with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Remember Mark, who the first time he went on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and then he flaked and chickened out and ran off. And so then Barnabas wanted to bring him on the second missionary trip, and Paul and Barnabas kind of had a fight about it. And Paul goes, no way, I'm not taking that kid with me again. And Barnabas ended up taking Mark, and later Mark got involved ministering with Peter, Paul took Silas with him. Now, Mark has apparently grown up. And he's there in Rome, ministering to Paul, ministering with Paul. And Paul's telling him, man, when he comes, treat him with respect. 
don't bring up the fact that he had bombed out in the past. He's a guy who has proven himself to be faithful. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, the guy was named Jesus, which wasn't that unusual of a name in those days, but they called him Justice just so they, you know, it would get confusing. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. So these are the Jewish guys who are here in Rome helping me. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete, play Roma, in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Epaphras was the guy who heard the gospel in Ephesus when Paul was pastoring the church there, and he went the 80 miles or so up to Colossae and preached the gospel up there, started the church in Colossae, and was also involved with the church in Hierapolis and Laodicea, which are sister cities to Colossae there in um, Turkey, Asia Minor. And so now Epaphras had left the church there and was down there ministering in Rome with Paul, spending some time on a missions trip down there. And he said, man, I want to tell you something. This guy is constantly laboring fervently for you in prayer. And he's praying that you will be mature and complete in all the will of God. And I'm telling you, he has a great zeal for you. What an example of a guy who isn't with the attitude, well, out of sight, out of mind, but it's somebody who is just, he still loves them and his heart is still there and he's praying for them and wanting them to do well. He hadn't graduated. And Luke, the beloved physician who traveled with Paul and Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He said to say hi. And Demas also says to greet you. Now Demas, we learn later in 2 Timothy um, chapter four, in the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy, that Demas ended up hurting Paul. And the way Paul says it is, um, Demas, he said, be diligent to come to me quickly, he's telling Timothy, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. So Demas was a guy who at this point was there ministering with Paul, but at some point, his love for the world caused him to desert the ministry that he was involved with in Paul. And how important it is for us to guard ourselves against ever leaving what God has called us to do because of material concerns. There are some people who don't answer the call of God on their lives right from the beginning. They never do serve God because it'll be too much of a financial burden on them. But Demas was a guy who had no doubt left the, the working world and become a missionary and realized how difficult that was and at some point just decided it's time for me to go back to work. And Paul was deeply wounded by that and, and um, felt the loss at seeing someone bail out on, on ministry. Um, but here he just said, hey, Demas, said to you know, greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. So Nymphus was a guy who was had, had a house church, uh, basically a home fellowship in his house, and said, greet him and, and all the people in Laodicea, the city right next to them. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So these, verse, these, these books that Paul wrote were circular letters. Now, we don't know if Paul ever wrote a specific letter to Laodicea. What he's most likely referring to is the book uh, that we know as Ephesians. Because he sent it to Ephesus and told them to pass it around, 
So Ephesus, the Christians there probably took it to Laodicea, and then they told Laodicea, send it to Colossae after you guys have a chance to make a copy of it and read it to the people. And so now he's taking this one. It's being sent directly to Colossae because he's sending it through guys who are from Colossae, and he's saying, make sure that you get the letter from them. Make sure you forward this letter. Kind of like the way you forward those stupid email jokes. Only important. (laughs) So read it and pass it on. And say to Archippus, Archippus was the guy who probably took over as the pastor of the church in Colossae after Epaphras left his ministry there in order to go and and minister with Paul in Rome when Paul was imprisoned. And so say to Archippus, the present pastor, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. And what a great reminder and what a reminder everyone in ministry needs at some time or another. Hey, you've started well. God has blessed you. And he's put you in ministry and he's working through you. Don't stop. Don't let up. Continue to fulfill everything that God is doing in your life. Don't settle for a sliver of what God is doing. For all of us, we stumble on some sort of ministry and then we see, wow, this is, I am more excited about this than I am about anything else that I'm doing. And so we go, I want to fulfill that. It's kind of what's happening at this point with Jeff Henneforth, who is a pastor here for several years and now he's preparing to go to Cambodia. Whenever Jeff would go overseas on missions trips, and anytime there was a missions trip, Jeff always wanted to go. And if he would ask me if he could go on a missions trip, I would go, well, there's another pastor already going. Church is paying for him to go. We don't really need somebody else. And Jeff would go, I'll pay my own way, and I'll take vacation time. I go, hey, you want to spend your vacation in Poipet? Have at it. You know, go ahead. And he was always a blessing But he went on like every missions trip we had. And God used that to then give him this passion for starting a college and school of ministry in Cambodia to train pastors over there. And I know that God's going to use him right now. uh, Currently, he's in a language school, and he's going to get some more missions training. And in June, he's going to be moving over to Cambodia. And I don't know what Jeff's, what God's going to ultimately do through Jeff, if he's going to pastor a church or whatever he's going to do, but I, I'm so excited to see that he's beginning to fulfill the ministry, that he's progressing in it. And that's the idea here to remind our Chippas, hey, follow God, and don't just get somewhere and be settled and just decide, okay, I guess this is what I do. Um, no, but look for opportunities to take what you're passionate about and to expand it and to fulfill it. A good thing to encourage pastors in, um, a good thing to remind pastors of as well and to let them know, as he said to them to do to Archippus, man, pay attention to your ministry. Get into it. You've received it from the Lord. Fulfill that thing. And then he says, this salutation by my own hand, Paul. Paul hadn't written uh, the letter. Probably Tychicus was the one who, who he dictated it to. But Paul said, now in my own handwriting, I can't see, but I'm going to write Paul so that you have my autograph on this thing. And then just a simple touching thing, really. Remember my chains. His chains were worth it. He wasn't complaining about it. And he was so concerned about them and so concerned about the gospel being presented and so concerned that they would live lives in such a way that they would, with wisdom and grace and sensitivity, that they would relate to people who don't know the Lord. And he wanted them to know about Jesus because that he's the one it's all about. But now just at the end he's gone, by the way, this does hurt. This isn't easy. And, I, and that's very human 
Uh, and I don't know, for me, just that little phrase is really touching. And then he closes, as he so often does, grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, how thankful we are for this guy, Paul. What an amazing guy. And what important reminders these are for us to consider the priorities in our lives, to, to think about the grace with which we treat others, to think about the care that we take with how we say what we say, with how we represent you. Lord, I pray that you will help us to live lives of passionate prayer, that we would make a difference in the battle against principalities and powers by often spending time with you, time on our knees, time on our faces before you, time when we focus on nothing but you. Help us to be people of prayer that we will have the kind of spiritual power flowing through our lives that through us you will accomplish great things. Thank you for all the examples we see here in Colossians 4. Most of all, Paul, this little guy who had just been beaten nearly to death for years and years. And now here he was dying in chains and yet still caring more about others and more about you than he did about himself. Lord, we are thankful for the fact that you gave him this opportunity to be locked up long enough that he had the time to write these books. And Lord, help us to be thankful, to live thankful lives, seeing all that you're doing all over the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.